So tonight's reading is taken from the book of Acts, uh, and it's in chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. So that's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father God, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for what a treasure they are to us, what a gift. Thank you that through them we discern and discover more of your heart, more of what's possible through you and with you. And we pray that tonight, in this time, you'd refresh us, you'd encourage us, you'd open our eyes and imaginations to more of what you want to do and the part we could play. And I pray that you'd help me, Holy Spirit, to communicate well. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts, and I'm going to talk tonight about what it takes to be a radical disciple, what it takes to be a radical disciple. With a subtext, anything less will be disappointing. Well, as we look through the book of Acts, it it must be becoming clear by now, and I'm absolutely sure about this, that Jesus commissioned his followers to make a difference. He commissions and sends off the believers to change the world, doesn't he? And in this, what is becoming for us a very, very familiar passage, and if you've got a Bible, I really would invite you to find the passage, Acts 2, 42 to 47. It's such a short passage, but there's a lot going on in it. it. It rather reminds me, some of us will have seen Rembrandt's masterpiece, The Night Watch. Have you seen that in Amsterdam, anyone? When when you walk into the room, it's a huge canvas. It's massive. And there's there's so much going on, you really can't take it all in at once. The only way you can take it in is to study little sections of it and, and admire the different bits. Then if you get far enough away, you kind of get a perspective. You could look at this little paragraph, if you like, as as a little postcard, a picture postcard, a snapshot of of what was continually going on in that early church. And I'm bold to say that any any community, us included, that replicates what they were doing here will also influence and impact the world will be a life-changing force. 
And that's how it's meant to be. That's how it's meant to be. I wonder if we sometimes, dare I say it, in talking to friends as good evangelicals, I wonder if we so overemphasize, so emphasize the need to make a decision for Christ, the need to be saved, that we, we present it almost as if that's all there is to it. You know, so, um, great, you're born again. I was going to say game over, but that's not exactly what it isn't. It's like that's just the starting line. Now you've reached the beginning of a new adventure. And now we're commissioned to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now a whole load of stuff becomes important to us that previously we never thought twice about. And, and I have, my whole life has been impacted from a message that I heard here where the preacher said that the master's master plan was very simple, genius. It was to make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. And, and I buy it. That's exactly it. And if you and I are following Christ, we're caught up in that whole process. That, that's a, a huge task, and that's how God will influence the world and win the world. That is what we signed up for. And I, I hope you agree. Not everyone agrees with me. And not everyone's discovered this. I remember going for a meeting. I don't want to disclose the person's identity, so I'm going to have to think quickly of a name that I stick to while I tell a story. Robert. I remember going for a meeting with a chap who I'm calling Robert, obviously not his name, um, who held a position of great prominence in, uh, in the church. And um, as we met, he said rather presumptuously, slightly arrogantly, really. I expect you'd like to know my story. Well, you know, it's being polite to say no. So, you know, I sort of looked inviting for him to tell me. And he told me his story. And, and it was sort of more or less like this, um, that at the age of I don't know what, but I would have guessed in, in his 60s, he found himself unexpectedly widowed. And after a very distinguished career in, in um, public service, um, he'd received unexpectedly, an invitation to move location and take quite a senior position in a, in a particular place within the Church of England. And as his story sort of came to an end, he, he said to me, um, but I'm really on the search. Um, I, I don't really know what it is, what I'm looking for, but I go to the cathedral every week because I like the smell of old hymn books. Well, I'm not going to tell you exactly what I said, but I couldn't resist saying to him, because I thought I'd earned the right, I expect you'd like to hear my story. And, um, and it was very different from that. But I wanted him to know that it's not the smell of old hymn books that Jesus calls us to. It is to know him, and then we're commissioned and sent out. This is the beginning of the adventure. And, and I want to preface this, what I've got to say tonight, by saying I'm absolutely sure that God is on the case. He is still committed to building his kingdom through his church, and we are his church, we are God's people together. That's his, still his master plan. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can be part of that. 
I can be part of that. That's the open secret. We are commissioned to be part of that. It's what we signed up for. Now, we're going to dive into this passage again. I'm going to preach on this passage so many times because I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of it. I want to make two general points today before we um, lift the lid. Number one point, your attitude matters. Your attitude matters. The very first two words of this passage cannot be skated over. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer, etc. This makes all the difference in the world. They devoted themselves. Some of you may be thinking, hold on a minute, already this is sounding rather extreme. Surely, moderation in all things, you know, that's how we do things in Britain. But let me tell you, that is simply not going to cut it. I do not see moderation in all things in the followers of Jesus Christ. I read throughout the scripture things like this, give me an undivided heart. Things like this, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. That sounds like being fully committed to me. And what really puzzles me, and annoys me in brackets, is how we accept this kind of idea of full commitment when it comes to all sorts of other stuff. But we balk at it when it comes to God. So, you know, heroine of a moment, Emma Raducanu, I, I don't know her at all, but I bet she lives for tennis. She practices and practices and practices. I cannot believe for a second that her attitude is, well, when I feel like it, I sometimes go out on the court. Because you know that just wouldn't wash. You, you, you know that she must be practicing fanatically all the time. And we understand that and we admire it in so many other walks of life. We admire it when it comes to business people. We admire it when it comes to doctors. You know, I wouldn't think much of my doctor if when I walked into the surgery, they said to me, oh, well, Rupert, you know, I did turn up today because I just felt like it. Oh, I haven't read a medical book or been instructed for years because I haven't felt like it, but on the days that I do, I'm fully applied on the other days of this day. Well, I tell you, I'd be out of that surgery just like that. Or teachers, or any, any area of life, you understand what I'm saying here, don't you? You need to be fully devoted to it to make the headway you could. And it's no different with God. It's absolutely no different. I wouldn't think much of a God if he said to me, Rupert, half-baked will do. Would you? There's a contradiction in terms. And, I, okay, let me beef this up a bit. A half-baked Christian is doomed to failure. You may as well hear it as it is. Yes, you can be saved, but if you're half-committed, you won't stand for long. You, you, you won't be able to withstand temptation, no chance. 
the pull of a world, the flesh and the devil is hard enough to combat when you are fully committed, but if you're half-baked, well, you're on your back before you start. You're half-asleep. Not only that, you're going to be a danger and encumbrance to other people. Now, in this little next quote, my apologies to anyone who's Italian. Anyone who's Italian here? Uh, just bear with this. I'm nothing against Italians, but I thought it was just worth the risk because it's quite a witty quote. So I read this in the obituary of a man called Mr. Kennard, who was talking about General Wavell during the last war, who said this, if the Italians declared war against Britain, he, Wavell, would need five divisions to defeat them. If they remained neutral, he would need 10 divisions to contain them. And if they became allies, he would need 15 divisions to extricate them from whatever mess they got into. And I think that about half-baked Christians. They're an absolute menace. And, and they absorb a huge amount of energy, just digging them out of the hole that they managed to dig for themselves. You will not enjoy following Christ half-baked. So get this, Jim. I think I'm making a point, aren't I? They were fully devoted. They were fully devoted. And that actually is the must-have requirement of fruitful disciples, much more than giftedness. If you've ever recruited and looked for leaders of any team you run, whether it's a catering team, the flower arranging team, the welcoming team, the house group leadership team, the children's team, the preaching team, doesn't matter. It's no good finding a prima donna who's superbly gifted but only turns up when they like. It's a requirement that we are fully devoted. And a second general point, as I look at the, this text, as you look at it in the scriptures, well, it just struck me how much of this could not have happened during lockdown. That in, in the lifestyle that was forced upon us in recent months, where we were separated geographically, okay, we had Zoom and we could watch and interact online, which is better than nothing, but they would have been robbed of what is so evidently face-to-face -face interaction. And that's important. It's part of what God intends us to be doing. They met together, they were together, they broke bread in each other's homes. The word together appears at least three times in this passage, but the impression is that they were in one another's company a lot more than just three times. And why am I mentioning this? Because I, I'm personally convinced that whether we like it or not, when we are cut off from one another and from interfacing face to face, um, it was like an invitation to become a consumer rather than a participator. And that will be to our detriment. I've got the benefit now of nearly 40 years of following Jesus Christ. And I think I discern much better now what's of value than I did at the beginning. And being together is of lasting value. There will come a time when we need each other's support. When I began uh, running a staff team in Cambridge many years ago now, um, I sat down for a few staff meetings and I could see that the people that I was leading, were leading um, were unhappy of what we were doing. Um, they, they basically wanted a much more business-led agenda. And it annoyed them. I could see it annoyed them when I would greet them when they came in the room. How are you? How's your week going? 
And then at the end of our Bible study, we would have a little bit of chat. And, I'd, and I could see that they, they were clearly trying to communicate, well, why don't we just have points one to six and deal with it? And eventually, after a few weeks of this, I said to them, you know, I can see that you think we should be agenda points led. And I, I understand that. But the reason I'm asking these questions and the reason I'm interested and care is the day is going to come when we need each other. The day is surely going to come. Something will happen and we need to be able to relate as people. We are God's provision for one another. And I wouldn't have wished this on them, but it, it did happen. And both of them, as things were to turn out, uh, had to go through the misery and suffering of their fathers dying in the next three months. And I think without a degree of relationship in place, we, we just could not have supported each other properly. You and I, in the walk of life, there will be chapters which are difficult and horrible. And you and I wouldn't put up our hand for them. And we will need the help of one another. And it won't be enough just to be watching online. We, we will need the support. And so I'm just saying, throwing those two, two things in before we even get to these quick five areas. Now, I'm going to alight again on the five areas that I've mentioned before and, and just try and beef them up a bit so it's practical that we improve in e each of the areas. The first one is what stands out, the word of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, etc., etc. And in many ways, talking to you at St. Michael's, I think that this is the value that we would feel most secure in. I think this is, if you like, our terra firma, our most secure ground. And I'm sure that most of the people here tonight, and most of the people, for that matter, watching online probably, are already convinced, as I am, that the scriptures, the word of God, is treasure. Because it is. And it's our most reliable highway into God's company. As the psalm, psalmist put it, the unfolding of your word brings light. But it is just possible that there are some people here tonight and also watching for whom this book is rather difficult. Well, a collection of 66 books. And actually, we need to remind ourselves, if you've been as I have, many of you have, living in the territory of the scriptures for a long time, you just need to pinch yourself and remember there are so many people who don't, that the ignorance of what God's word says and contains is, is incredible. So a Barna poll indicates that at least 12% of adults, this is in America, believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed over 50% thought Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And a considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated they thought the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. And I just kind of throw this in because it's like, we shouldn't assume knowledge that isn't there. It just isn't there. That's why, actually, if, if you have a, a trying to have a conversation with someone about Jesus or about, yes, about Jesus, you might have to tell them what Jesus did. You might have to tell them a story that Jesus did. You can't say, what do you think of a prodigal son? They would think, who? Well, I'm not going to uh, spend time explaining, because I think you're convinced already, why the scriptures are so important. But I want to give some encouragements to us in this department. 
they're really earth it. To say, if at first you don't succeed, try again. You know, all of us, all of us, me included, would go through seasons where reading God's word is just sheer hard work. And we need each other's encouragement to get to grips with it. So if you've laid it down, and actually as I'm talking, you know perfectly well that you haven't sat still with God with your Bible open for quite a bit, I would say don't despair, try again. Try again. We've all had to do that from time to time. And it is a big collection of books, and it can appear intimidating and difficult. It reminds me of like the old thing of how do you eat an elephant, and the answer is one bite at a time. You just start small. You just start small. You will get through it, but you, it's probably more realistic just to take a small passage at a time. And the idea isn't to get through this book, the Bible. It's to get the book through you. It's pointless just reading a great chunk of scripture, thinking, great, tick, done that, if it makes no impression on you at all. Um, hopefully, very shortly, we'll get a page up on our website which you can consult, or where do I go for Bible helps? But what I would say is it's so available online these days, it's, it's very, very, very easy. I'll, I'll share with you where I go for help. I'm a great fan of a guy called Tom Holliday, H-O-L-L-A-D-A-Y. And if you go onto your apps and you look up Drive Time Devotions, it's part of Saddleback Church's ministry. And this guy gives a 10 to 15 minute talk every day. And I've, I've been listening to him for a few years now. And um, obviously, like all of us, not every single one's an absolute winner, but they always have got, always have got good things to hear. And, and I love it. I would say another little tip it is write down a summary of what you've read. It's a very good way of getting to know your way through the Bible. So whatever chapter you've just read, or a few verses, just write down the event that happens. And you'll find little by little by little, you get to know your way around this book called the Bible. And most important is, before you put the book down, be disciplined with yourself, and before you get up uh, from your seat, ask yourself, so what? So what changes? So what was the message this morning? So what was the point of what I just read? And if you don't do that, I really can't see the point of reading a book. Are there any dangers we need to be aware of in this first quality of getting into God's word? Yes. We don't read this book simply to accumulate knowledge. That just isn't the deal. We do accumulate knowledge, but we read it to change. We read it to get closer to God. Rick Warren himself is very challenging on this point. I'll read you a little bit about something he says. You only believe for parts of the Bible that you actually do. You may say you believe it, but if you don't do it, you don't actually believe it. The Bible says to read the word of God on a daily basis. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you do it? No. Then you don't believe it. The Bible says share the good news with other people. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you do it? No. Then you don't believe it. The Bible says forgive your enemies. Do you believe that? 
Yes. Do you do it? No. Then you don't believe it. You only believe the parts of the Bible you actually do. Hmm. Interesting. Another danger, I think, is sitting to listening to sermons and judging them rather than actually listening to learn and draw closer to God. I gave up judging other people's sermons years and years and years ago. I just realized that when I got into that frame of mind, it was doing me absolutely precisely no good whatsoever. They, I assume, spent time prayerfully preparing what they've got to say. I should be listening, asking the Lord, what are, they, what are you saying through them? And the acid test of a good sermon isn't whether it's imparting knowledge, it's not even whether it's entertaining, it's whether your life changes as a result. If it doesn't, that sermon bombed, however erudite it was. Okay, we're going to move on. I hope this is sort of scratching you a bit, provoking you, prodding you a bit. Thank you, David. <laughs> Next one, they let the love show. So much of what's pictured here in this passage is hugely attractive, is it not? It really is. I think if we walked into people living like this, we'd, we'd surely want to be part of it. They met together with glad and sincere hearts. A very, very telling phrase. They were not hypocritical. What you saw was what you got. That's what those two words mean. You, they were see-through and they were people of integrity. They shared their possessions. They gave their time to one another. This is, this is so valuable when people will make space for you and give you their attention. They enjoyed friendship. People who looked in said, see how they love one another. They let the love show. And this is a challenge. It's so annoying that God has a word invented to describe the quality of relationship in that church, which was specially coined and invented because of that church. And it's the word agape. It's a quality of love, which is learning to love people you don't even like. And if you don't find that challenging, um, you're very blessed. It is, it is challenging. And the biggest encouragement I can give you to, is to become part of a small group. Because it's within the context of a smaller group of people that we'll be able to build these kind of relationships. And it may not come easily at all, but it will come. Let me give you another reason this is very, very challenging. It's because in God's family, things are not neat. Here's how we would like it to be. We would like it to go, I heard this from someone else, it's not original. We would like it to go like this, that people who come in, we want them to do the following things in this order. We want them to behave, then we want them to believe, and then we want them to belong. And in an ideal world, that's how it would be. But in the real world, that is not how it is. In Jesus' church, it should go like this. Whoever you are, we want you to belong. 
The day will come when you will believe. And after you believe, you will start to behave in a Christ-like way. Um, you don't look as shocked as you should when I'm saying this. But it is severely challenging. Um, but this is God's community. This is God's community. The Apostle John wrote in his letter, love covers a multitude of sins. And it does, and it needs to. Incidentally, just worth mentioning in passing before I move to the next point, that the way fellowship actually happens is it's a product of sharing a common goal. You don't pitch in together to discover fellowship, making that an end in itself. Fellowship is a byproduct. So you could accurately talk about, let's say, the fellowship of stamp collectors or the fellowship of Portsmouth supporters, if there are any. Or it's people who are drawn together by a common interest. They're united in it. And we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's as we pursue a common goal that we're drawn together and actually are able to overcome some of these rather big differences. And friendship will probably result as a result. Now, are there any dangers or things to be wary of in this point of letting a love show? And I think, yes, there are. Exhaustion. Exhaustion. It is a constant battle to open our hearts to new people, to let them within our, our ambit. We need to. We need to because Jesus has commanded us to. Churches can be really lonely places. They can be so difficult to penetrate. I speak to someone who's only really recently arrived at St. Michael's, and you know, I've been on the staff here now for over a year, but most of that was in lockdown. And, and our community is no different from anyone else in the sense that it's so easy to feel inside, I've got enough friends. In fact, I haven't got enough time to sort of service the friendships I already have. Oh, great. You know, there's so-and-so. I haven't seen them for months. Let's, let's get amongst them. And it is really testing, really testing, to prioritise something else and say, no, look, there's someone who's probably never been to this church before. Um, let's go and find out about them. Let's make space for them. One of the most silly things you can ever say to yourself is I've got enough friends. Quite a few people have said that to me. I just think, idiot. You can never have enough friends. I know what they mean, of course. They mean I haven't got time for all the friends I've got. Well, lucky you. But you really can't, I really can't harden our hearts to other people. It's just not how God's family works. Or if you do want to harden your heart to other people and just sort of draw a circle around you and say enough is enough, well, you stop being a disciple. It is challenging. It is challenging, but we have to. We have to pray. And maybe the answer's in the next quality. Sure it is. To let the spirit glow. Frankly, none of this stuff is going to be possible in your own strength, is it? You're going to have to ask for God's help. I'm going to have to ask for God's help. Some of your heads are going down. This is not a a beat you up talk this is a lift you up talk God can do this God will do this God has on his heart that we at St Michael's are going to change the world along with all the other churches and he will empower us to do what he's asking us to do 
So he will give us the love that we need. You couldn't do anything that they were doing without the Holy Spirit's help. You'll see if you probe into this passage, yes, they do signs and wonders, and they made a huge impression. But yes, they prayed together. You can't put three words together in prayer that are worth anything without the Holy Spirit's help. But we need to be intentional about this and to pray, come Holy Spirit. I hope you do do that. I know that for some people this rings alarm bells and, and you kind of think, oh no, we're about to derail and we're about to become nutcases. And, and I want to say we're not about to become nutcases. We are meant to be fruit cases. Jesus says, go out and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And he says, I've appointed you. That means anointed you with the Holy Spirit to go and bear fruit that will last. And if you don't pray, come Holy Spirit, you won't last. A verse that's very, very dear to me and a guiding principle is 1 Corinthians 12, 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's it. Yes, I've seen disasters. I've experienced the wrong end of charismatic thuggery. But, you know, the, the answer is not to discard the whole thing, however tempting. It's to actually ask yourself, so what is the genuine article? And someone sort of pithily puts it, the answer to abuse is not no use, it's correct use. And that's true. And I often think to myself, to encourage myself, you know, when, you, when you learn to ride a bicycle, you don't look at all the people who have fallen off. You don't listen to their horror stories for hours and hours, because if you did, you'd never get on a bike. But we know people fall off bikes, but we also know that there is a right use of a bike, and it's very useful. Charismatic gifts are like that. They, they supercharge the church. They, it's God's gift for us, and they build up the common life. We just can't throw them out. We should welcome them in. We should welcome pictures and impressions and words. And if you have those and you want to share them, I would say write them down. We have to have some order about this. We can't just have people shouting out from the floor. Write them down and submit them to the leadership who will weigh them prayerfully, and if it seems right, in this sort of context, if it seems right, they'll be shared. But again, small groups, you can do this so much easier because the risk factor is less high, isn't it? Sometimes it's just not enough just to have your head crammed full of Bible verses. Sometimes it's just so good when the Holy Spirit speaks the word directly as I was preparing this, I felt that the Lord was saying to me, there's someone here tonight who you're on the verge of just losing all hope. I don't know who you are, but it's like you know who you are. And you should get some prayer to ask the Holy Spirit's help. You don't need to go into great, you do not need to go into great explanations of what's going on in your life. You just need to ask for prayer at the end of the service. Just say, I want to respond to that. Please ask God to give me some hope. And, and we'll pray for the Holy Spirit to do that. Well, just very quickly, last couple. In this community, they prioritize their worship of the Lord. They let their worship flow. How do I know that? Well, they met every day in the temple courts, praising God. It, it became part of their lives. It's part of their rhythm of life 
Any difficulties in this department? Oh, my goodness, so many. Um, and within a, a church community, which spans lots of different ages and lots of different experiences, it, it's terribly easy to have your own preferred style of worship. I guess if there's any area of church life that people fall out on very, very quickly, it's this. And, you know, the, either the worship's too loud or it's too soft or it's too long or it's too repetitive or it's this, that, and the other. Well, look, we've all got different musical tastes. And um, to some extent, you know, one man's meat is another man's poison in this whole area. So, of course, there's going to be um, differences of opinion. But we should quit trying to evaluate it for other people and should see what matters is integrity. What matters is that we're striving to give God the devotion of our love and to magnify him and to deliberately make ourselves small. And that's called worship. And it's important that we should express it to God week in, week out. And furthermore, I could share this, I think, not only will we have different musical tastes and styles, but even each individual here, what we appreciate and what we think of as appropriate will change depending on what's going on in our lives. If you come to church and you're grieving inside, if you're walking through something really dark, you will not feel like standing up and whooping for joy. Of course you won't. But on the other hand, if... if something great is going on in your life and life is tickety-boo and um, why shouldn't you stand up and weep for joy you know we, there is a certain um need for sensitivity here but what's desperately important is that god is magnified god is made larger and there is something about the presence of god during our worship his very real presence and people who have never read a word of scripture but who venture into church very often say, I sensed the presence of God during a time of worship. Now, you may not agree or connect with anything I'm saying in this department. I know for years I sat through lots of talks and people said very similar things and I thought, really? Well, I don't buy that. Well, I buy it now and that's why I'm sharing it with you. Worshipping the Lord is absolutely at the heart of what we should be up to. And it's why they changed the world, of course. And lastly, the last value is that they let the world know. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And friends, this is going to challenge us. This is so much more challenging than, than in some ways it has any right to be. Because I suppose if I asked you, would you like God to add to our numbers, those who are being saved, you know you're obligated to say yes. But if I push a bit more, the answer might be no. Because they will annoy you, the people that he saves. They will not necessarily be the people you wanted him to save. It, that is so annoying. The, the people you've been praying for day and night might be still resisting God and then somebody that you really don't know or maybe even didn't like, they come in and they get saved. And they sit in your seat. 
<laughs> and and now, now your small group's got to multiply because there are too many people coming into the church and you can no longer meet with your six best friends every week because they're needed to go and lead our groups. Etc. 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 It doesn't happen automatically. Many is the family of God that effectively put the barriers up and effectively are quite happy in a way for life just to continue as it is. But that's not God's family. You know, any family that has a new child in it, there's, there's disruption, there's chaos, it costs a lot. You might scratch your head and wonder, why did we do this? Well, in God's family, it, you know, we do it because God's love has to be shared. There's a little picture in, in one of the books of Kings of two people during a time of famine, two lepers during a time of famine, and they stumble into a deserted place where I think it's the Arameans have fled and they come right across this great huge amount of food and they sit there gorging themselves. I always picture myself being locked in Sainsbury's or Waitrose or something overnight and they're sort of having the time of their lives and then one turns to the other and says, what we're doing isn't good. We ought to go back and tell our, our friends about this. And it's like that for us. You know, if you've come here tonight, and I know that most of us have, and you know the Lord is your friend, and you love it, and you love him, and you love your friends at St. Michael's, and you love all the blessings that God has heaped upon you in life, then you cannot keep it yourself. Because if you do that, what you're doing is not good. You owe it to your friends and to the people God brings across your path to be kind enough to share what other people share with you. Well, I've just scratched the surface of this. But I want to remind us, you know, that this lifestyle, which you and I can adopt, with the Holy Spirit's help, with each other's encouragement, there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't see so many people's lives change. But it's going to take our devotion. It's going to take encouragement from one another. It's going to take a huge desire to lift up Jesus. But that's what I signed up for. Okay, let's pray, shall we? Father God, thank you that your community is an irresistible community and thank you that you've grafted us into it. We, we need to say to you, Lord, that this church belongs to you and we belong to you. And thank you that when we're looking at this snapshot of life, I'm pretty sure that each of us is challenged in at least one of those departments. So we pray you'd help us. And thank you that you're not a taskmaster to wear us out. Thank you that along with being devoted to you, there's also being refreshed by you. There are also times when you will say to us, come by yourself to be with me, to a quiet place and rest a while. And we take that on board too. And we pray for each other tonight. Maybe this is the best way of doing prayer ministry for the moment tonight. And we pray for any here who are feeling at their wit's end or just quietly desperate. And I pray, 
Holy Spirit, come. In the Psalms it says that the Lord can be the lifter of our head and the shield about us. And I pray the Lord will be the lifter of your head tonight and the shield about you. And let's just take a moment in the quiet just to thank God for people who have stood by us and are standing by us to encourage us, to strengthen us. Let's thank God that this is a community where all these values are known. Thank you, Lord, that It's you that so faithfully opens the scriptures to us to reveal yourself and so much else besides. And I pray, Lord, that as we go home tonight, when we do, we wouldn't be fearful of embracing your purposes, but full of hope that you haven't abandoned your world, that you know what you're doing, that your plan that we should be your disciples who make disciples is not a mad plan. It's, it's achievable and doable and genius. If only we will attend to you. So lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.